everybody aloha and welcome back to the brick house for another edition of bose football final here at khon2.com and anywhere you download podcasts i'm your host rob demello joining me former university of hawaii player and coach rich miano we got former rainbow warrior offensive lineman rj hollis and guys the university of hawaii football team this past weekend entered their game in logan utah against the aggies of utah state with their backs against the wall understanding that they needed to win this football game. They likely needed to win out in order to have any chance, any hope at keeping pace in the Mountain West Conference West Division race. And they got upended by the Aggies. 51-31 the final, dropping the Rainbow Warriors to 4-5 and five on the season, 1-3 and three in the Mountain West Conference. And so obviously there is a lot to talk about with what happened in this game. And then there's a lot to talk about with what happens from here, but we'll start with Rich Miano. And when you look at what went down this past Saturday, a 20 point loss on the road to the team that is currently leading the mountain division in Utah state, but on paper, statistically entering the game, not viewed as 20 points better than the university of Hawaii yet. That's what happens. What's your biggest takeaway from this game, Rich? Well, I think uh, alignment, assignment, uh, execution, technique, finishing, all of those things were negative for Hawaii. And and I did a lot of research coming into this game. I thought Hawaii would be able to rush the passer because uh, Utah gave up eight sacks last week to Colorado State. I thought Hawaii would be able to run the football because they've been doing it uh, so easily and so physically the last couple of games in Utah State was not good against the rush. I thought there were so many things in terms of physicality on the offensive and defensive lines for Hawaii that they could go up to Logan and pull off this upset victory and maybe even in a resounding fashion. And it just, uh, from the very first snap, Rob, especially the first quarter, but it kind of permeated throughout the game. Hawaii, again, were not, they weren't more physical. They did not execute. They were not good on defense. They were not good on special teams. And offensively, they could have played better, especially a thing Todd Graham talks about. Penalties, uh, getting behind the chains, um, turnovers. Uh, it was just, um, it was like uh, hopefully a one-off, hopefully an anomaly because they got to play better against San Diego State. It was hard to watch because they've been playing much better than this. You know, RJ, we, we've talked about this a few times this season. And when, when you have a record like four and five and entering the game, there are four and four, you you have this where, you know, it's a win, it's a loss, it's a win, it's a loss. And, and some of the wins feel better than some of the other wins, right? Like the Fresno State victory felt better than the New Mexico State victories. Then you look at the, the losses where a loss to Nevada doesn't quite have the sting that a San Jose State loss has. And I think a lot of it has to do with expectations and how you felt entering that game and as rich discussed um in his research thought that the university of hawaii was a better football team than utah state and so with all that being said what makes this loss to utah state the gut punch that it is and the gut punch that it appears to be for not only this coaching staff the players but also the fan base 
Uh, I think it's the biggest gut punch because, you know, Rich hit it all on the head. There was just a lot of mistakes that were made. And, you know, even when you look at the grand scheme of the game, there was one point where, you know, even when Hawaii fell down 41 to 10, there was some sort of, you know, breath of life where they get 15 unanswered points. They get back into the game. You kind of start to feel a little bit of flojo. Then they give up back to back sacks. They punt. And then we give the onside kick that is a, another error that turns into a touchdown. So when you see the amount of talent, when you see, you know, the players that we have, the things that they're doing, it does frustrate you. When, and granted, playing the number one team in the Mountain Division at home is never going to be an easy task. But like I said, when you see the 15 unanswered points, when you see some of the plays that we have, some of the players that we have, like Dedrick Parson and, you know, Chevin Cordero making the things make or, you know, making the plays happen that they are, to have a 20-point loss with that many mistakes, with that many turnovers, I think that's what makes it the gut punch because you know you perform better, a couple of these mistakes don't happen, then you're talking about another win that can, you know, not take over Fresno but can be just as great because now you've knocked off the number one team on the other side of the division and it helps you with San Diego State coming in. So I think the biggest gut punch, Rob, is just, seeing all the mistakes, seeing all the mishaps, you know, seeing the constant vertical routes go for touchdowns, onside kicks being brought back for touchdowns, seeing things like that, a fumble on the very first drive, a four and out that would have been a four and out if not for a penalty. Seeing things like that, I think, is what makes it a gut punch because you know if you play a clean game, well, now you can give yourself the alternative, and the alternative in this case is a great win instead of a terrifying loss. Yeah, and you talk about the miscues and the mistakes that it was riddled throughout the entire game, and whether it's false start penalties or whether it's drops, whether it's uh, exchange uh, miscues, uh, this was a game that was riddled throughout the, the, the entire morning here in the state of Hawaii um, of, of just putting yourselves behind the eight ball, putting digging yourself a hole and Utah State taking advantage of it. Uh, real quickly, some of the numbers that the Aggies were able to put up. Logan Bonner, the quarterback, 21 of 30, 361 yards and four touchdowns. His number one target, Devin Tompkins. I mean, that guy was automatic. Seven catches for 176 yards. And let's talk a little bit about this University of Hawaii defense and how Utah State was able to put up those numbers. You brought up vertical routes that that were home runs and three plays jump out immediately for me on where you look cover two situations safety help over the top and trying to understand what happened there uh twice it was kai kanashiro on coverage once it was eugene ford two of them goes for touchdowns one of them just a huge chunk play and in all three of those scenarios the exact same play where you have the wide out covered by a corner. Maybe the wider has a little bit of a, a step ahead advantage uh, before the ball gets thrown. And as that ball hangs up in the air, safety coming over the top yet undercuts the receiver ball goes over their head into the receiver's arms and, and, and resulting in either a touchdown or a huge first down rich. What happens there? What happened on those plays? Is it, altitude where the ball is carrying maybe a little bit more than they anticipated is it a judgment as far as where they think the ball is going or is it just split second in the heat of the moment just making the wrong call 
You know, Rob, and maybe it sounds cliche or coach-like when I talk about alignment being the first thing, and then I talk about assignment, then I talk about technique and execution. So let's start with alignment. If you watch the NFL when they play cover two, sure, it's a, it's a little different game in terms of where the hashes are and where their landmarks are. The numbers are different. But if you look on the film, and the first thing you're going to talk about as a coach is your alignment in cover two should be 12 yards minimum, 14 to 16 yards in terms of not fighting for depth. Because the worst thing you can do is get two vertical routes on cover two, and that's exactly what happened. What, what happens if you're not aligned properly, then you're fighting for depth, you're fighting for width, and then you turn into baseball rolls instead of being able to break downhill. You don't see, you, you, know, you can't stay with the quarterback as long because you come out of your back pedal, so to speak. So there are so many technical things that come with this. And then when you are beat or you are uncertain, you don't backpedal. Crossover is the second most efficient thing to do. The first most efficient thing is to turn and run. So there are all kinds of technique experiences, uh, deficiencies, but it starts with alignment and assignment. And you mentioned those are three plays. If you're a quarterback and you're throwing into cover two and that safety has proper depth and he goes to his landmarks and he's reading the release of you, how your hips are uh, with, with the ability to throw down the sidelines or down the seam, those balls are not even 50-50 balls anymore because you're coming downhill because you're attacking the ball at the highest point. Those balls should be in Hawaii's favor. You want those throws on cover too. So I, I really think that the safeties played as poor as we've seen them. Normally, they don't play a lot of cover two. Normally, they're playing what we call a one high safety, and therefore they're playing center field. So this game plan was a little bit different. And when you talk about Eugene Ford, well, he's had problem in space. So he's backing up in previous games. And then it's he's reading run too late. He's coming downhill. And now there's too much space. So it's, it's a recognition thing. It's reading your keys. There's so many things to talk about. And I don't want to get too technical. But these are all fixable. But when it happens three times, it's, as RJ said, as you alluded to, it's a gut punch. It's one of those, you know, uh, Mike Tyson kind of knockout things where you just go to your knees and go like next guy up solo Turner next guy up who can play safety back there and not only tackle but play the deep ball yeah and, and when you talk about defense I mean Eugene Ford uh, a couple of those plays as we talk about wasn't all bad for this Rainbow Warrior team and and specifically Eugene Ford who has 10 tackles, a fumble recovery that he returned 60 yards for a touchdown. Also had a tackle for loss. Darius Muasau, 16 tackles with two and a half tackles for loss in that game. And that comes the week after we had talked about it in, in 20 career starts. He had 11 double-digit tackle games. Well, now in 21 career starts, he has 12 double-digit tackle games. Solo Turner gets some uh, playing time at safety in this game against Utah State. He has nine tackles with a sack two tackles for loss and Corey Bethley, six tackles with a tackle for loss as well. Yet the word tackle, that was something that the university of Hawaii struggled in doing on Saturday against Utah state. So RJ, when you look at the issues tackling um, what jumps out to you as far as what the main problem is, is it um, the, is it the university of Hawaii not wanting to engage in that moment? Is it that, they're expecting help. What is it that when you watch these plays develop and they're not getting these tackles, what's leading to it? 
Uh, I, I think this one here is just, uh, you know, an uh, effort thing. And it's it's great that Rich brought up, you know, alignment, assignment, technique, and how he breaks out DBs because a lot of people would connect DBs to alignment. And we do assignment and technique in our judgment. But one thing we do instead of alignment is effort. Effort is really everything. And it's easy to come out when it's 0-0 zero, zero and give effort. But when you go down 14-0, that's one thing. You go down 14-0 and then your quarterback finally does march you down to the red zone, you get an interception, okay, that's another thing. You get down in a 41-10 hole, well, now all that energy you had, all that mojo you had to, to come out and make plays, it's not there anymore. It's not there like it should be. I mean, at the end of the day, there's always an assignment that needs to be done. We know this. But football is a sport of violence and a sport of passion. You have to have that hard wiring in your head to know I'm going to go all out even if I got to sacrifice my body to make sure this guy gets down. Well, that's one thing when the game is only one score or two scores away. But when you put yourself in a 31-point hole against the number one team in the Mountain Division who's killing you with verticals, but that was predicated by the first quarter run game. So to have the run game already hitting you, the pass game to hit you again, well, at this point, the last thing we're thinking about is basic tackles because now we want to stop the hemorrhaging. We need to get back to coverage. We need to get back to the basics of basics. And I know tackle falls underneath that, but that's one of the most effort-based things you're going to have to do in a day. And when you let Utah State just run away with momentum the way that they did, I think you're going to find it very difficult, especially when you got so many guys already getting double-digit tackles for these guys to be as consistent as they are when they're trying to get behind with no momentum and they're facing an offense that's clicking like Utah State was clicking on Saturday. Well, I don't want to spend too much time on the specifics of this game because I feel like this is more of a big picture episode here of Bo's football final as you look at where the University of Hawaii lies, the scenario that they find themselves in, and, and especially with what's coming up with the San Diego State game at the Clarence T.C. Ching Athletics Complex. Um, but before we get on to all of that, uh, let's look at the, the University of Hawaii offense and what they're able to do. Chevin Cordero plays for the first time after missing three games with a shoulder injury. He goes 23 of 39, 296 yards passing, three touchdowns. He has the interception. He takes a devastating sack, one of his two sacks in the game in the fourth quarter. He appears to be okay, but the the the, the University of Hawaii just chooses not to put him back out there. So Braden Shager comes in. He goes 4 7, 52 yards, sack three times, throws a pick. Uh, Diedrich Parson uh, gets 17 touches in the game. He has 115 yards receiving with a touchdown. Calvin Turner Jr. Eight catches, leading receiver, 110 yards, and a touchdown. Um, I'm going to break it up into to two facets. First one, Rich, I want to ask you about Shevin. And, and him coming in, you would expect some rust, but by all accounts, Shevin Cordero appeared to pick up where he left off. How did you feel about Shevin Cordero's performance and the way he looked out there, um, not even looking at the numbers, just how he looked out there in the field against Utah State? Yeah, so, you know, again, uh, an A through F grade, somewhere around a B. Uh, there were some good things out there, not too many bad decisions. And, and then you have to be part of that coaching staff. You have to get the all 22, the mesh early, which resulted in a fumble. Not sure if that was just because of contact, uh, the, the indecision of giving the ball, taking the ball, a little high possibly, uh, not working a lot with Diedrich Parsons, uh, the, the new emerging kind of uh, all-purpose back. Then the interception, 
the defensive end was engaged with the offense tackle. He really flashed out into the flat and made a nice play to get his hands on the tip ball. So it wasn't a bad throw by Shevin. Um, there were a lot of good throws, touch throws. There were, there were uh, quick slants. There's, uh, you know, obviously uh, both Turner and Parsons were a big part of the passing game early. The two overthrows to Nick Mardner, I mean, those are so close to being huge chunk plays. So they weren't poor throws. Sure, you could put more traje trajectory on that ball. And I think that's something that Shevin has to get better as trajectory deep balls. Um, but, you know, he did move around and thank God he moved around because when Shager got in there, you could see that if you did not have mobility, there he was under duress all game long. He extended plays. He made throws. You know, I, I think Shevin was not the problem, and I and I think he will be the answer moving forward. But it was protection issues. It was the procedure penalties. It was the inability to uh, get those big chunk plays and just develop a rhythm. They took a big step back offensively, but it was not because of number twelve. Okay, and so RJ, I want to ask you the question of, I think we are all in agreement that the offense took a step back um, in this game against Utah State, but when you look at game plan, when you look at what they were trying to do out there, and obviously game plans get thrown out the window when you fall behind in a 14-point deficit in the first quarter like they did against Utah State, but when you look at spreading the ball around the seven different receivers uh, when you look at, at Diedrich Parson and Calvin Turner being your primary running backs and each of them getting the ball in, in, in that way, were you okay with the game plan, even play calling um, with what they were trying to accomplish against Utah State? Um, or was that something that left you wondering what was going on as well? Uh, that's, I think that's a little difficult to answer. And the only reason it is is because when you get down in such a hole, you're obviously going to have to, you know, go to the pass. You are going to have to depend on number 12. And, you know, Rich hit it on the head. Not too much that you didn't like of what you saw from Shevin. You know, a 6'4", 230-pound guy knocks the ball out of the air. You just don't expect it to happen. But I would have liked to see more running. I mean, only 10 carries for Dedrick Parson. I mean, even though you didn't have Day-Day Hunter, you did still have Calvin Turner. And at the end of the day, that's what's shown itself to be the power of your offense so far. Being able to get behind those big offensive linemen, being able to slow the game down and get things under control, be slow and methodical. And even in some of the best drives that they had, that's kind of how the drives are set up. Slow and methodical, dinks and dunks, getting the out routes, taking what the defense gives you. I feel like the running game gives Hawaii a, an ability to kind of impose its own will but being that they got down in such a hole so so fast, I don't know if they're going to be able to, you know, try and get a running game going when you're already trailing. So, like I said, I do believe they should have ran more, but I do think that was predicated off the fact that, you know, Utah State just came out scoring. You get down in the 17-0 hole, and you got to do what you got to do. But at the end of the day, if they could stop it from spiraling, UH has to be able – to stick to its run game. At the end of the day, it's just what's shown to be its power. Whether it's Dedrick Parson, Calvin Turner, or Day-Day Hunter, we know they're all capable. We know these old offensive linemen are all capable. I think if you figure a way to just let the big boys in front of you eat, that'll be one of the best offensive game plans that you have. But I think, like I said, that Utah State took off so far ahead, it's kind of hard to want to start a running game when you have to catch up 31 points. Yeah, and not only did Utah State jump out ahead and, and, and kind of take off, but also, I mean, 
let's be real. They dominated the line of scrimmage. I mean, that defensive line ate up University of Hawaii's offensive line, and that could have been a big reason why they went away from the running game from the opening drive. Uh, Hale Motuapuaka from Punahou, uh pushed back Solo Vaipulu on a number of occasions, and, and, and that could have even also provided to why Solo was getting so many false start penalties is because he's trying to get out there in front of this mass of a man that, that's coming after him. And so definitely just one of those games that in every facet of the game, Utah State was better than the University of Hawaii. And I think there's no other way of describing what happened on Saturday. So let's look ahead now and let's look at where the Rainbow Warriors are. They're at four and five on the season overall. They're at one and three in the Mountain West Conference. It doesn't matter San Diego State's record, Fresno, Nevada, whatever. You can throw that all out the window. San Jose State, yes, the University of Hawaii won the division in 2019 with three losses. But when you look at how the standings stack up right now, uh, you're going to need a miracle to be able to win the division with three losses. So it's one of those things that if Hawaii just takes care of business and then chaos happens around them, yeah, that's one thing. But we can stop talking about them chasing the West division at this point. Now it's just taking care of business and needing to win three games uh, in order to be eligible for a bowl game in order to, to get a winning season. Um, but with all that being said, Rich Miano, when you look at this football team right now, and, and truth be told, it could be a lot worse than four and five at this point of the year, but it is what it is. They're four and five. And what is your biggest concern about this team? What is the biggest cloud that hangs over this team that could be detrimental in this stretch and, and not allow them to be able to fulfill those victories in order to get a fourth consecutive winning season it, something that this program hasn't done since 2004. Uh, consistency, Rob, and, and confidence, you know, that can be kind of blown up, you know, and, and we talk statistics and analytics and yeah, the, the four games they won this year, they rushed for over 200 yards under Todd Graham, the six games, they're six and oh, when they rushed for 200 and RG was talking about the physicality of that offensive line. Uh, I mean, is it real or is it Memorex? I mean, because, this was not a great run defense. Sure, they did some things in terms of loading the box and, and predictable run situations to have tackles for losses. And they've been pretty consistent on, you know, making some big plays. But we got out physical on the offensive line. And, and Dedrick Parsons, a good back. He's not probably as good as Day Day Hunter, but he's good enough, is serviceable that you should be able to be able to run and set up the pass. Protection wise, I thought. They overloaded some protection, but we did not protect Chevron. We did not protect Braden. There, there was all kinds of uh, leakage in terms of pass protection. And then you had, again, a, a series of uh, false start penalties. And, and that's offensively. And then when you look at defensively, how many missed tackles were there? You know, when you look at the fact that you knew they had to run at certain points in that game or predictable rundowns like coming uh, uh, off of a touchdown and you're up by 31 points coming off a touchdown you're up by 24 points and they gash you for 12 yards you know you know they're running and you still can't stop them that's demoralizing Rob so where are their heads where is their confidence when are we going to see consistency and don't get me wrong this is a game where Utah State played better than I think they played maybe all season long I think Hawaii played as poor as they did especially defensively and then again another special teams blunder but this team is still capable. 
but it's going to be up to that, again, senior leadership, confidence, and they've got to be more consistent. And they obviously have to start faster because San Diego State now is physical on the offensive and defensive side. And you talked about not just the big picture. Colorado State's a good football team. Even though Nevada hasn't won a football game, they've been in every game into the fourth quarter. And then Wyoming in Wyoming. Todd Graham always said, you got to be able to stop the run to win in the Mountain West Conference, especially in November. So guess what? They didn't show today they could stop the run, and they didn't show they could run the football. Where is this team right now? This is as low as I've been as an analyst, and this is 48 hours later, and I still have a headache. You know, RJ, when you look at this Utah State and Hawaii series, the Aggies have dominated here now winning six straight. They win on Saturday, 51 to 31, a 20 point victory, right? In 2018, they win 56 to 17. In 2017, they win 38 0. In 2014, they win 35 to 14. In 2013, they win 47 to 10. All right. This this is a series (laughs) that the Aggies have dominated, and yet a 20 point loss in 2021 feels like this is new territory. And so does this kind of, does, does this, is this a, a sign that the, the um, expectations are different? Is this a sign of, what is it a sign of that, that makes this loss in 2021 feel so much worse yet they've gotten blown out way worse here in the previous five times that they lost to him. What, what is it about this current time of university of Hawaii football? Okay, you know what's so funny? I was listening to a Bose football final podcast from two weeks ago, Rob, and I owe you an apology because you asked me a question that I totally did not answer. I kind of like <laughs> went off the on professor the- and his ADD students. Yeah. No, so you you went, you said, did you see any red flags in the defense? And I went into a tangent about fans' expectations of the team. Period. So I do owe you that apology, but that predicated to say this is a. This is a time where people do expect better from the University of Hawaii football. I came in 2013, and for the first three years, we won seven games. My senior year, we won seven games. In 2016, that Hawaii Bowl victory may have just seemed like a win over Tennessee. That was the first bowl victory for this university in a decade. Okay, you go into the year afterwards, two games, but then after that, you win eight games. After that, you win 10 games and you go to the Mountain West Conference Championship, then you follow that up with a winning season and a mainland bowl victory. Yes, the expectations are different, and they should be. We've seen, like I said earlier, what this game would have been without the mistakes, without the constant verticals beat, with safety help, without the onside kick where you have a guy going to hit a blocker and he hits nobody, so the front guy just picks the ball up and takes it into the end zone. We know these are types of things that aren't supposed to happen. We know these aren't things that you should be expecting from a team that has been playing this great. Even, you know, when you talk about the rushing game, last game, Dedrick Parson got 25 attempts. This game, he got 10. First quarter, you only have two total rushing yards. That is not something that is expected from a team that beat a team that beat you 44 to 10. You beat Fresno State. You beat the 18th ranked team in the country. Why do you not expect people to expect you to keep up with Utah State? You see what happens when you go down 31 points, then you do 15 unanswered. And if you don't make another mistake, chances are with how your offense is running, you bring it within to a score. 
So you give Utah State the head start that you give them, still somehow kind of make a little bit of mojo for yourself and make more mistakes, shoot yourself in the foot more times. And I mean, when you talk about shooting yourself in the foot, Saturday night, UH unloaded a clip. So to know that you have that many mistakes going on, you lose by 20 points, it's obvious to the average fan, if all these mistakes aren't made, then this is possibly a win. You're talking about games like San Jose coming down to one play, one decision. You make one play beat San Jose, don't have these mistakes to beat them, and now you're talking about a potentially undefeated team, except they're lost to Nevada, where now we're still discussing the Mountain West Championship win or loss. So there is a new expectation. There is a new loss. Yes, there's been, as you listed before this question, numerous amounts of occasions where Utah State has gotten more than the best of Hawaii, but we are not in those states. I mean, if you even go back to 2011, all the way up to 2016, there wasn't even a bowl visit in that period of time. From 2011 to 2016, not even a bowl game. So to go to multiple bowl games, to be in the Mountain West Conference Championship, to have winning seasons, this is what comes with it. People are going to expect you to win, and they're going to expect you to put your best foot forward. And we all know, analysts, fans, and coaches know, if UH put their best foot forward on Saturday, if they kept the mistakes to a minimum, this is a totally different post football final we're doing right now. But the mistakes were made. It got incredibly out of hand. It was an embarrassing, you know, loss. And now this is what they have to deal with, with these newfound expectations. So this is what winning comes with, gentlemen. When you win, people are going to expect you to win more. Yeah, and expectations are a good thing. High expectations are a good thing because that means that you are on a certain track and that that you have done certain things before, right? And, and because you're not going to have high, high expectations if you're uh, an 0-12 program, you're a 1-11 program. And so with that being said, having high expectations are a good thing. Um, having realistic expectations might be another thing. But with that being said, we're going to go to the Bose Football Final Mailbox because uh, th- there, there's two questions slash comments that that I'm, I'm we're going to use today. Uh, one of them could send this into a... a a whole another atmosphere and another one could lead us into an, uh, a conversation about what's coming up this weekend. Um, so I'm going to start with, uh, with the doozy. All right. And, and, and credit um, this was signed um, from Steven. And so uh, this person making it clear that, that they want to know who it came from. And so Steven says, um, and again, at the Bose Football Final Mailbox, you can send in questions uh, on Instagram, at Rob DeMello, on Twitter, at Rob DeMello, K-H-O-N. So, Stephen says, uh, Rob, you and the rest of the media have no balls. You should be calling for Graham's job, but you are too scared. So, first things first. Number one, I have three kids. Balls work fine, all right? Number two, <laughs> number two, I will say this, all right? Todd Graham, it. yes, it. yes, it's a it's a loss to Utah State, a, a devastating loss, and it was an important loss, um, and and that could be frustrating in it in and of itself. All right, but if we're really talking about firing a coach eighteen games in to their run, who is nine and nine, has a bowl game victory, a four and four Mountain West Conference schedule result the year before which is the the second best record that this program has ever had in the mountain west conference at four and four 
then you just you you're just not realistic in regards to what the University of Hawaii is. This is not Alabama. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't expect Hawaii to win and you shouldn't be frustrated with the losses. But if you think that the University of Hawaii is going to fire a nine and nine coach 18 games in who has three years remaining on their contracts, so you're going to pay them off. Then you're going to pay another coach to come in here while you're in the middle of a pandemic or the back end of a pandemic, let's hope, fingers crossed, in which you have not sold a single ticket in any sport in two years while you're building a makeshift stadium on campus because your existing stadium has been condemned for fans to use then you're just out of your mind. You're just unrealistic. And yes, hey, listen to Colin Cowherd and Stephen A. Smith. That's cute and that's fun. And I want to be one of those guys and say, this guy should be fired and this guy sucks and this guy's horrible. Yeah, that's cute. That's fun. But that's not real world. That's not real life. And I'm not saying that people shouldn't be frustrated with a loss. You should, right? And you should and, and tell people how you feel and tell people what you think can be done. But in all reality, like, that's not going to happen. Okay, it's not going to happen. And, and the other thing, I looked this up before the season. And so it's funny that it that it comes to this right now uh, at this point of the season with Todd Graham being four and five. All right. There are six coaches in UH football history that have led them to bowl games. Dick Tomey, Bob Wagner, June Jones, Greg McMackin, Nick Rolovich, Todd Graham. All right. Dick Tomey, first 18 games, nine and nine. Bob Wagner's first 18 games, nine and nine. June Jones, first 18 games, nine and nine. Greg McMackin in his first 18 games as head coach of the University of Hawaii, nine and nine. And guess where Nick Rolovich stacks up in his first nine and nine. nine and nine. Nine and nine. How crazy is that? Every single one of those coaches, including Todd Graham, nine and nine in their first 18. That's so spooky, if you're bro. telling so if you're telling <laughs> me that, that those previous five coaches all should have been fired yep. through their first 18 games, then <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. But so, Rich Miano, I'm going to let you tell us what you think. 18 games in, is the Todd Graham experiment a failure? Not at all, Rob. And I don't want to sound like an apologist. And, and I think fans that pay money deserve to be able to, somewhat critique people especially behind social media and you know saying your name but not your last name or not really uh getting out in front of the camera so to speak but but let's talk about the win against fresno state the win against houston in the bowl game and you just talked about all those other uh pretty successful coaches start starts to their you know era you if you look at what todd graham has faced and, and people don't know the intricacies the nuances of what Hawaii dealt with through the COVID time. Sure, there might have been worse scenarios. New Mexico State may be one of them, but there weren't many worse scenarios than what Todd Graham had during COVID, the truncated season, uh, the inability to practice, all, all kinds of things. So that first year to me, just wipe that out. Although, remember, they beat Houston in a bowl game on national TV, which has been hard to do around this place. This season, yeah, I, I think they've played below mostly their expectations, but they played above them during Fresno State. Um, if you want to question whether Bo Graham's a good offensive coordinator and look at his resume and study that and talk about, you know, who's the offensive guru on this staff, you know, you might have an argument in, in some, you know, ballparks. 
if you want to say that, hey, Todd Graham's the head coach, there's so much to do. Why is he the, the special teams coordinator? I'm sure that special teams is handled by a whole bunch of different coaches. You know, Todd Graham has coached long enough, like June Jones, who knew special teams, knew defense, and uh, knows a little bit about offense as well. But to talk about it, Rob, you mentioned the monetary considerations. You mentioned uh, some of the other things. It's that's an impossibility. It shouldn't happen. If it did happen, I mean, what security would the next head coach uh, have knowing that, hey, if you're around 500 and you win a bowl game and you beat a nationally ranked team, which is hasn't been done a lot around here as well, you still get fired because that's how fickle Hawaii fans are. Hawaii fans are starting to turn more and more like the mainland. And to be quite honest with you, it's more and more disappointing because I don't think they understand the day-to-day operations. I don't think they understand what Todd Graham faces with a 9,000-seat stadium, the transfer portal, um, you know, everything that goes on within the university, being a union school with tenured employees, sometimes not all rowing in the same direction. Hey, Nick Rolovich did a nice job, but you mentioned nine and nine. June Jones, the arguably the greatest coach in history, nine and nine. You mentioned Bob Wagner. You mentioned that uh, I coached with or played for five of those six coaches other than Ty Graham, and they had the same record. You cannot give up on coaching this easy. I mean, I, I think that's asinine to really even put that into a conversation at this stage of the program. Yeah, and one one correction, I do have to correct myself on one thing with June Jones is I didn't count the bowl game when I looked at uh, the the nine figure. I was looking at the regular season. So he actually started nine and eight, but then went – after starting nine and eight, went 10 and 11, right, And because they went on a three-game losing streak after that. So – so it's nine and eight, not nine and nine in regards, but the rest of them nine and nine. But regardless, right, we're talking about – those first 18 games and where the University of Hawaii stacks up. And so, uh, RJ Hollis, uh, your take on on that. I mean, and, and again, you had mentioned it. Frustration is one thing, but then wanting to blow it up at this point is another. But is there, and, and, and I want complete honesty in regards to, is there a reason for there to be a push of, hey, this isn't working, it's time to move on? Or, or, or is it just an unfinished product at this point? And there are just things that you just need to let develop. And if, if it doesn't end up working out, it doesn't, it, it doesn't work out. This, this was the guy that was chosen and, and you tried. But do you look right now at four and five on the season, nine and nine to the first 18 and say that, hey, there's a little part of you that says that, hey, you need to hit the emergency abort button at this point. Uh, there would be two things that would make me say yes. One would be if all things were regular for the University of Hawaii. So if Aloha Stadium still existed, if they could still sell tickets, if they still were able to recruit normally and they weren't absolutely side-blinded by the pandemic, if they weren't two months behind everybody else and letting fans in, maybe. That would be one reason. But I'm going to tell you the second reason. It's because I played for a coach named Norm Chow, and I'm not too sure if people remember him because you would think with these Bowles football final questions that they don't. But I'm going to tell you, that man won 10 games in four years, okay, was paid $500,000 a year, the highest paid state employee. In the last three years, he won seven games, and Rolovich replaced that and won seven games in his first year making less money. 
The thing about the University of Hawaii is it's already behind. You start trying to fire people that are doing things that in all aspects of the program are just fine. I don't understand what fans are expecting. I don't understand where the 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 12 and 0 talk or or the constant Mountain West, you know, contention talk is is coming from, especially if you've been watching the program for the last decade. Now, I'm not saying there's to be no expectations. I'm not saying that people aren't to be critical, but you got to understand when you're talking about terminating somebody, that is the 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 players that have to get adjusted to a new coach. That's the athletic director that has to go out and find another guy that has to bring in assistance that he can't pay that much that already have to travel all over the place to try and recruit in a state that's having a hard time even having recruiting because their high school football seasons are so thrown off. So it's like, it's one thing to expect when people perform bad that you look at their job, you look at their performance as to how it should be. But to lose to Utah State by 20 when you've been doing that for over a decade, I, 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 don't, I don't get it. I understand being critical. I understand asking questions, and I totally get that. But to be this young into a, a, a era where you haven't even had fans yet, next week will be Todd Graham's first coachable game where as many people who want to come within capacity of the stadium can come. He's been here since 2020 and now he's about to finally be able to have regular fans in front of him so for people to to just ignore that you have a program that can't even sell tickets and you're expecting a coach to not only win in those conditions but thrive in those conditions you're being more than unrealistic and at the end of the day you know some people are just like that you know the the there are passionate there are loud there are proud fans but when you disconnect them from the program the way that you have and you have games like this, I think some fans just take it to the absolute extreme and, and they have no other outlet for their frustration. So their immediate thing is get them fired. And I mean, at the end of the day, when does the media hire or fire anybody? So I don't know why they would be like, it's on the media to do that, you know? So some people are just frustrated, but they got to understand the University of Hawaii has had to deal with so much in these past two seasons that to even be able to break even is something that they should be proud of, you know? And at the end of the day, people are going to think the way that they think. And, you know, there's been so many good victories. People forget that Nevada was undefeated last year and Hawaii beat them, holding Romeo Doves, who's going to be a top prospect next year, to only 10 yards. Like, there's already been things that, you know, the, the, the university can be proud of in the short gram era. So to tell people they ain't got balls because they don't want to, preach for somebody to get fired after doing what is something that is beyond par for this university i don't get it i won't understand it and at the end of the day steven if you got balls just use your last name next time <laughs> hey, hey rob can i add to that real quickly and, and again what people don't understand and rob you did a phenomenal job of putting the last five six coaches first 18 games into perspective because I know there's people out there that think June was great and Rolo was great. And some people like McMacken and Wagner and Tommy had their thing as well. Uh, and, and they weren't like, you know, unmercy. They, 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 I think, had a lot of respect, even when all of them had left this program. Does, does anybody know, because I do, what the record on the road is? Under Dick Tommy, they only went on three road trips a year. OK, then it got to four. Then it got to five. Sometimes it was six. 
There are seven road trips this year over 40,000 miles traveled without chartering planes. The university doesn't have much money in their budget, okay? The record, the road record, nobody's been successful in any tenure on the road. The best road record was the year 2007 when we won 12 games and lost zero. But go back to 2006 when it was the most prolific team in the history of this state. We lost to Alabama on the road. We lost to Boise State on the road. Yeah, sure, it was in the last possession, but it's still a loss. This team has never been successful on the road. It's because it's the most traveled team in the history of the world, NFL, college football, high school football. And it's not a huge budget in terms of accommodations and everything else. And it's hard to win on the road. And so you have that against you, as well as all the COVID things RJ talked about, playing, not in playing in front of fans and everything else. So, you know, hold your horses on Todd Graham. He is a good football coach, whether he's the right fit and whether he can turn this thing around. Let's give it some time. Yeah, and and that's what it all comes down to, right? Is you just have to wait and see. I mean, that's just how it goes. You just got to wait and see how this thing plays out. I'm not saying that the University of Hawaii is going to win a national championship in the next five years. I'm not saying that the University of Hawaii football team is going to go winless in the next five years. But we just got to wait and see to see what happens, right? Uh, uh, and and so real quickly, uh, you know, as I suspected, that sent us out on on, uh, on quite the drive down the country road. Um, but let's look at San Diego State coming to town. The Clarence T.C. Ching Athletics Complex. Yes, a big game in the West Division. Yes, the Aztecs, a team that the University of Hawaii always finds a way to to play up for, even when they even in losses in in years past, they they find a way to to um to, to play well against his team and and pick up some victories here over the last couple of times that they played as underdogs but let's remove san diego state from the equation all right let's just look at what it is the very first game and, and i thought rj said it perfectly in which however many people that want to come can come right um the, and this kind of has uh, uh, the the question from uh it's kj that asked if there's any concerns that uh, that they won't sell out 9,000 against San Diego State and Clarence T.C. Ching Athletics Complex. And so we'll answer that within this answer, but more so, Rich uh, and RJ, the importance of this game and just and beyond the game of football to just have fans in the stands and and not it be a limited 1,000 or the Stan Sheriff Center where it's 500 this past weekend. I mean, this is however many people that, that want to go can likely go just how important is that for this team at this point of the season at four and five, still trying to accomplish things, still trying to be bowl eligible, still trying to get a winning season, still trying to get a respectable conference record. Um, how big is this rich? It's huge. And a lot of things you mentioned, Rob, obviously the, the ability to finally play in front of a packed house, hopefully 9,000 fans, right. Talking about again on national TV, that'd be a huge victory. I, I think that, um, you know, they will be excited. The adrenaline will be flowing. I'm hoping again that there's, you know, 9,000 rabid fans in there and, and they play better. And if they do that, again, winning four consecutive seasons shows you that Nick Rolovich ended off the right way. Todd Graham starting off the right way. Uh, going to a bowl game. They've won, I think it's three bowl games in the last five years. Only Mountain West team to do that. I, I think if you can continue to win, you can continue to recruit. And hopefully you can continue to build facilities and hopefully you can build some type of dynasty or at least some type of consistency. But you know, the thing that I 
going back to the football aspect of it, one thing San Diego State hasn't done well in the last decade is throw the ball. So they're one dimensional. So I think Hawaii will have a good game plan. I think, again, the, they will have a chance. They, like you mentioned, Rob, they've always played San Diego State tough. And I think with that nine, two years, RJ talked about not playing in front of your home fans in two years. If that don't get you excited, what will? I don't care if there's 9,000, 5,000, 100,000. It's a full house, whatever the capacity is. And you know what? Your family, your friends, your loved ones, the sponsors, the students, whatever else, it's going to be electric. And I think that works to Hawaii's favor. All right, RJ Hollis, I'm going to let you send, send us out on this one. How much are you looking forward to this weekend and the University of Hawaii being able to play in front of a packed house? I mean, I, I can't even put it into words. As somebody who can't even be in attendance, uh, I, I, would, I would say this is probably the highlight of the season for me. You know, at the end of the day, this university has given me so much that I will always be, you know, grateful to it. But I am a warrior. You know, I put on them shoulder pads and I put my blood, sweat and tears out on that field. And I know what these players are feeling. Actually, I don't know because I've never been there where I don't have to play in front of fans. But this is your opportunity yet again. And even though the season may not have gone the way you wanted it to go, it, it may not have been what you wanted as far as fans as far as results as far as whatever you are still given an opportunity to fight for something to play for something you have yet another ranked opponent coming into your house in mountain west conference play and you get a sellout so no matter what has happened you can always change the story of what will happen if you put utah state behind you that's great. If you ride with it, then San Diego State going to come in here and show you why they're the number one defense in the conference and the number two rushing attack in the conference. But Hawaii has ballers, too. Loaded like a baked potato. My man Kuali Nishigaya finally got in the paint <laughs> on a Saturday night. You know, somebody that we're not always throwing in, in the constant receiver rotation. But this is the type of talent that they have. So for Ty Graham to be given the amount of hurdles he's been given, for these players – to be given the amount of hurdles that they've been given, even at home, the hurdles are gone now. You got 9,500. You got a ranked opponent. Regardless of what it does to your season, that game is the most important game of this season. So whether you're a fan there, a player there, an alumni, an analyst, whatever, you have to be loud. You got to be proud. You got to make it rock. Because at the end of the day, that's the only thing that's going to help everybody go forward. Analysts love wins. Coaches love wins. Players love wins. And we need this. The University of Hawaii needs this win right here. So if you're going to be one of the people that are going to be in attendance, check, check, it, check it at the gate. Make sure before you walk in there, you know what you're doing. And I'm talking to the players, too. I'm talking to the coaches, too. Yeah, you got beat up at Utah State. Yeah, you got people sending crazy messages to the uh, the Bulls football final. Yeah, you got people asking for you to get fired. All right, so what you going to do? Life done got tough, so what you going to do? And at the end of the day, you can have your game plan. You can have your idea. But come Saturday when San Diego State straps it up and that first kickoff happens, we'll see from there. 
We will see from there. Kickoff at 5 o'clock at the Clarence T.C. Ching Athletics Complex. Rainbow Warriors and San Diego State. It will be televised nationally. And uh, we'll see what happens. And we will be back on Monday to talk about what happens with the University of Hawaii and San Diego State. It's been a lot of fun, guys. For Rich Miano, for R.J. Hollis, mahalo everybody for listening and mahalo for sending in your questions and comments. We'll get to a lot more here as long as the season rolls on. And Bo's Football Final is every Monday at KHON2.com and anywhere you download podcasts. Have a great week, everybody. Aloha.